to the Together for Change podcast series. I'm your host, Marvin O'Kello. Following the untimely death of George Floyd in 2020, I've taken on the role of diversity, equity, and inclusion officer for the Halifax Wanderers. As of 2021, we've started the podcast as a means of continuing conversation in a safe space. My aim is that by having these tough and sometimes awkward conversations, we can begin to break down barriers and strengthen a culture of diversity and inclusion. It's been over one year now since George Floyd's passing, and I can confidently say that we as a club have embodied our mission, which is to bring our community together through sport. Today, I'm joined by the CPL legend, Paul Byrne. Paul is the former president and founder of the CPL, a man who wasn't afraid to work 48 jobs before finally getting it right on the 49th try, showing he's a truly res resilient individual. Paul is a man who exemplifies innovation and willingness to grow personally and professionally on a scale not many can or will be able to say in their lifetime. Paul is a musician and self-proclaimed childhood nerd turned sports revolutionary. The term revolutionary refers to something that has a major or sudden impact on society or on some aspect of human life. And I can confidently say that Paul has exemplified just that in creating pathways and accessibility to the beautiful game for many Canadian international athletes. In short, Paul is a builder of communities. Welcome, Paul. Thanks for having me on. And thanks for that intro. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna write it down and frame it. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. Honestly, this this podcast has been a, a real learning journey, and I'm really glad that we're able to record at this point in the in in the journey because I feel now that you know after uh, what are we on episode eight was the last one that I'm really confident now and uh, you know ready to have a conversation uh, on this on this magnitude that I hope we have. You know. And I'm, I'm a little curious as to where we're going to take this because I'm, I feel like, you know, as a uh, late middle-aged white male, I should be the one that's shutting up and listening to the podcast. I shouldn't be, uh, you know, my opinion matters less, but obviously I hope that's not your perspective, but uh, it'll, it'll be, it'll be an interesting um, conversation because uh, I can see how far I've come in terms of developing as a human being in the last, I don't know, 18, 24, 48 months, um, the last period of time, you know, and, and uh, so the world that we're in today is very different from the world that, you know, I started my career in and the world I grew up in. So it's, uh, you know, the, there's an Irish saying, may you live in interesting times. You do. And that's very, very epitomized right now, you know, yeah. and, and we'll start with, you know, I, I listened to the the podcast that you did with uh, Segun Makinde, which was was incredible, you know, and and one of the, the main themes that you guys discussed in that podcast was the power of sport. As somebody who works for the Halifax Wanderers and, you know, I'm just becoming even more awakened and, you know, in the ability to manifest all these changes through sport. You know, it's, it's, it's incredible to see what has happened since we haven't been able to watch games and, you know, the, the transition that people have had, like our club, you know, to community, which was always a thing for us, but now we have no choice but to give back to the community that gave so much to us in that 2019 season, obviously. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a massive fan of, of the power of sport. It's what drives me in, you know, as a, as a professional in this industry. I, I can't think of another industry. I started in the arts side of things and there are similarities for sure, but I can't, I, I don't think the arts has the same emotional power that, you know, that, that feeling of deep connection that people have to the club and by extension to each other within the club, right? And mm -hmm. that's what you're experiencing right now. It's, it's, a, it's a proper community, not defined by geography, but defined by the shared love of the game and of the players and of the moments and of each other. It's great. 
I, I talk some of the other clubs across the league and employees, especially through the pandemic, you know, everyone's dealing with it differently. Every organization, even outside, within the CPL, but and outside the CPL, everyone's dealing with it very different, you know, and what I'm hearing from a lot of those people is that we're, we're able to succeed because we have a structure that allows us to meet even just on a weekly basis, you know, like we have a team huddle that we make sure to do every single week and we align on all our different departments and stuff and just kind of update each other, you know, something so simple that, you know, talking to the other clubs and sometimes other organizations that don't do that. And they recognize how much impact you can have just by having one meeting where you're all together collaborating and sharing ideas. Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, my, in my pro sports experience, I've been in the NBA, NHL, major league soccer, CPL, and also in England in the English football league. Um, and having sort of grown up as a professional in the North American leagues, there is a sense of, uh, community is not quite the, the right word in this regard, but there's, there's a sense of connection and, and that we are not competing with the other clubs in our league. Um, and then I went to England and the English football league is 72 clubs. They're in an, a space that's smaller than, I think it's smaller than Nova Scotia, you know? So it's, it's, can you imagine 72 pro clubs from Cape Breton down to Truro? Like it's, I call that heaven. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, uh, but they have no sense of connection to one another. And in fact, they, they see each other on the business side of things as well as on the field as being competitors. And so there's, there's no sharing of information. There's no, there's, there's, there's constant reinvention of not reinvention, but re, uh, yeah, reinventing the wheel, right? Like restructuring they, they, almost. They, they, they have the same problems at every club. And they, instead of picking uh, up the phone and saying, how did you solve this problem? Or how did you address this problem? They just deal with it. And they, they you know, come up with their own solutions. And so you end up with a, it's one of the biggest leagues in the world. So I'm not, I don't need to disparage it. But for me as an outsider coming into it, it was very foreign to me, this idea that um, each club was on its own on an island and independent. Mm. Um, and we were really cognizant of that when we were building Canadian Premier League that, you know, we have this enormous geography in Canada, but that doesn't mean that we can't have a lot of alignment from the clubs. And that's why you see um, the CPL office, uh, you know, not telling the Wanderers what kind of sporting culture you have to have or what kind of, you know, what, what style of play um, Stephen Hart needs to have. Not, none of that. Mm-hmm. But there but there is some... Um, well, it's, frankly, it saves you money economically, but it also it creates this culture that you that you you were talking about of of sharing of information and also sharing of your troubles and sharing of your challenges and ch- sharing of your opportunities, and uh, it really connects you with people that you know you probably have never met in person. A lot of the people that you feel connected to, right? Very, very. No, you you hit the nail on the head. You know, just being able to. Cause that's, that's, that's how all this started for me. You know, this growth was just by connecting to the other teams and, and just picking up the phone or, you know, sending an email and being, Hey, we're having this issue. Have you had it yet? How did you deal with it? And then, you know, that led to them saying, Oh, I spoke to this team. And then all of a sudden, I'll be honest, I started this ticketing call because that's, that's my field um, up until last year, especially by reaching out to all the teams and having this call that we all just, you know, the CPL office wasn't even aware of it, to be honest. We all just kind of did it because you can't always wait for somebody to start it. You got to you gotta be the change that you want to see, right? And since we started collaborating on those calls, it's, it's crazy how many things I had done that 
another team hadn't done already that I was able to share and vice versa. And we were able to work so much more effectively and collaboratively, you know, and in the scope of diversity and, you know, equity and inclusion, that is the best way to do it. And you said it well, when you said, um, (laughs) it's funny, even different clubs and different, you know, within the same system can operate as if they're on islands. And there are times where it's, it's okay to do that. Like you just mentioned the example of us, you know, we're very, we're very happy to push the social justice envelope and, you know, continue to lead that charge where, you know, another team might not, but it's good to have those similarities, but also our differences for recognizing that our brands are very different. You're describing why we all love Canada. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. Like we, we, you're, you're expected to um, become a, you know, an active and engaged member of the community, but you're also um, given enough flexibility and freedom to, retain who you are and retain where you came from and celebrate our differences as opposed to try and squash our differences down into, you know, a pump. And I don't think it would be as impactful if every team was doing the same thing as the Wanderers. You know what I mean? Right. Like yeah. it's yeah. that that diversity in, in, in differences is really what allows us to thrive um, because Pacific has a little bit different approach than, you know, Ottawa does now coming into yeah. the league with, you know, their Spanish influence. And it's it's what I love about Canada. You, you really did sum it up. Like coming from. That's, why I, that's, that's another reason, sorry to interrupt you. I, I kind of reject, especially in the context of a football uh, environment, mm-hmm. I reject the word franchise. People are like, it's just natural for Canadians to talk about, you know, the franchise, the Wanderers. in business, yeah. Yeah, and I, I just do not like it because franchise to me implies that when you buy a Big Mac in Toronto or you buy a Big Mac in Hong Kong, you're going to get the same thing because it is exactly like it is prescriptive, right? Mm-hmm. And in a sporting context, certainly in a football context where the club really needs to reflect its immediate community, mm-hmm. um, something you guys do so well. Uh, that that you can't impose and force things. You need to you need to provide a framework, which is what CPL does. Um, but you you need to give a ton of freedom and flex, flexibility within that framework in order for different personalities to emerge. And so you get a different Big Mac in Halifax than you do in Winnipeg. No, you're completely right. And I mean, I guess let's, let's take it back a second for for the people who don't know who you are. You know, because we. As, as I look into the analytics of, you know, our podcast, we're starting to get fans from the UK, all over the US now, even actually South America. So I'm sure there's some people who don't know that you're you're quite the mogul in, in the sports world and, you know, your involvement with the uh, creation of MLSE and, but for you, it started way back in Toronto. You're, you're born and raised there, right? And um, yeah. in, in my intro, I mentioned the fact that you had, you know, 48 jobs and you didn't mind going to a 49th job, you know, (laughs) before we talk about the 49th job and what everyone knows about the CPL, what do you remember most from those 48 jobs that you had prior to that you mentioned in your podcast with Sagu? So, yeah, so I grew up in Toronto. I, uh, you know, in in amongst those jobs that I I count and I'm kind of proud of because I like the story. There's, you know, I delivered newspapers for the Toronto Star and the Globe and Mail and stuff like that. Um, but I also worked at McDonald's and I also, uh, twice, by the way, and, and I, I, on my list that I have of these jobs, I've got a little asterisk beside the ones I was fired from, you know, because mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> life is full of experiences. Is, was and, McDonald's uh, one of them? Just curious. Is that why there was no, a second? Okay. No. <laughs> um, and I'm, a, I'm, I'm still a huge McDonald's fan. So why do I say all that? Because I, I think 
you know, I, I did go to university. I, um, I studied music in university, but at that age, I was kind of lost. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to be a music teacher because that's the thing I enjoyed in high school was playing music and being part of the band and, and that kind of thing. And uh, I ended up taking 34 years to get that degree, but I finally got it. But um, I was really bored by academics and I just kept finding ways to, you know, I, having a job meant I had money in my pocket, which meant I could be independent. And that was more important to me than, than getting a degree and getting a postdoctorate degree or post, post, uh, postgraduate degree. Like you're saying, I, I kind of floated from job to job and uh, whatever caught my interest, that's what I did. And um, th there, there was a little bit of progression in, in amongst those jobs. I worked in the theater world for a while. I did some tours selling t-shirts and sweatshirts and merchandise and coffee mugs and all that stuff. Hmm. Um, and- uh, Expanded your net really um, wide. Yeah, but again, it, was, it wasn't, there was no design to it. It was just, oh, I get to get, get to travel and hmm. you know, sell crap, then I'll do that. You know, but what I didn't realize is that I was acquiring a set of um, skills. Some of them were hard skills, like learning how to use a computer and, and to log inventory and, you know, that type of thing, but also softer skills, like how to interact with people and be customer service uh, friendly and, and uh, um, how to manage people and, and those types of things. So that by the time I, I landed in the job that you're talking about, the 48th or the 49th job was um, with a new NBA team in Toronto called the Toronto Raptors, which was an expansion team. When I joined them, they didn't have, it didn't even have a name. That was 94, um, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was just another job. It was just another one of those things that I was flitting from one to the, to another. And then, you know, 25, well, 18 years later, I woke up and I was still in the same place, you know, and, <laughs> uh, but, but I had the good fortune once I was within the Raptor organization, it was growing at a pretty significant clip. So, you know, 10 employees when I got there, within a year, there were probably 35 employees. And two years later, there was over 100. And, you know, when I left with it, there were more than 1,000 employees because it was the least, the Raptors, Toronto FC, you know, Canada Centre, BMO Field, you know, all these different entities that were all part of the same organization. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that provided me a, a, an environment where I could sort of grow up as a business person and take on progressively more and um, and be the happy recipient of opportunities because the, the thing was was growing so quickly. Mm. So that's kind of my that's kind of my pathway. Oh, definitely. In, in, in a lot of ways, I can relate, you know, um, because as a young kid who moved, you know, as an eight and a half year old to 96 to Fredericton, so much my parents thrust me into that at the time I didn't understand, but it instilled that hunger for me to, you know, interact with different people. Like um, I actually did a, a podcast before this one with a guy from Nigeria, someone to Segu, who was talking about, you know, snow, you know, and he's like, what was your first experience with snow? And I was like, you know, mine was uh, seeing it after landing here and not knowing what it was and asking my parents, um, what is that white sand falling from the sky? You know, and and from that naive, you know, knowledge of, of lack of knowledge, um, I went to shoveling driveways, my first job ever, you know, because I was sitting there after I hated the snow. I'm like, how do I, you know, make peace with this thing? And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put on a coat and go fight it. 
Yeah. You know, so that's essentially what I did. So I, yeah. I forced myself to become okay with the snow. Um, my parents will tell you I got frostbite a couple of times in that process, but wow. eventually I, I, I became comfortable with it. And I decided, you know what? I need to be back around people, even though I don't know these people, I don't know this culture. I just started going to neighbors with my shovel and, you know, my, my willingness to help. And um, through that, I, I gained this, you know, confidence to, to speak to people and this mm -hmm. hunger to work. And then, you know, you get paid a little bit and you're all of a sudden you're like, oh, awesome. Because I actually didn't even expect money going to do it. I was just doing it to stay in shape and whatever. And yeah. that, that led to me mowing lawns in the summer. And then, you know, that led to my first job at the theaters and so forth. So I really, you know, hearing your story with Sego and I related in a lot of ways to your early journey. I can't say I've had 48, 49, <laughs> mine too, but, um, but I had probably a good 15 before I landed with the Halifax Wanderers. And it's, it's great to have those previous ones that set you up um, for success in that last position, you know, and that's yeah, and, and when you're in the moment, like you know, when you're getting fired for eating food at Canada's Wonderland, when you're supposed <laughs> to be preparing the food but you're eating it, um, even even those you know quote unquote failures are actually giving you more tools and more you know uh, they're helping develop you into who you're ultimately going to be. It, it's impossible or it's it's really difficult to see any positives when you're going through that, but. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a reality, right? And, you know, so I, I pull that story out fairly frequently because it's part of how I ended up where I am today, you know? Exactly. And, you know, there's there's that um, there's that saying that uh, coal under pressure, you know, what that makes? Diamonds. And it is it is a rap song. But that's, that's very true even for the last year for a lot of people for the pandemic. You know, I had a brief um, conversation with you before this about what I've gone through um, in the last year since the pandemic. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know. And I think, honestly, this is a good time to talk about it with somebody like yourself who has shown such resilience in many different adverse situations. You know, you know, I've, I'm going through, you know, parents separating, you know, separation with my own, you know, relationship, uh, car accident. And everyone could say, you know, that sucks, you know, and that's how do you deal with that? But all of those things, like you said before, you know, happening right one right after the other provided this opportunity for me, you know, to be the diamond, you know, and that's because of the mentality that my parents instilled in me, you know, through their 30 plus years that they were together. Luckily, I'm a result of that, you know, and it seems like in a lot of ways, you are a result of, you know, those 48 jobs and those McDonald's and all those experiences that shaped you to be the person that was ready to, to launch the CPL. And in that journey, I feel ready personally like all through experiences and the mental health journey that i've gone through this has been a therapy with this podcast you know speaking to people from all walks of life who have so many different perspectives that allow me to realize that you know all these special people had adverse situations they had to get through too and that's yeah. actually how we become the people we were meant to be you know a part of what you're saying as you're speaking i'm i'm thinking that we are in a we're in what feels like a slow moving time because the world is shut down and you know there's not so many planes in the sky and and you know travel is restricted and and for whatever you know however you want to describe it the last 12 14 months has um has been a real slowdown but at the same time it's a strange dichotomy at, at the same time the world has really changed a lot in that mm -hmm. period of time and maybe one has been the cause of the other maybe we've been able to you know, have platforms for more discussion and 
you know what's happening with Black Lives Matter, and and um, you know that's that's one of you know five or or seven, yeah, global <laughs> phenomenon that are happening that are that are you know changing people's perspectives. Like I said at the outset, my own perspective is is uh, changing right in front of my eyes. Mm-hmm. And um, um, before that, we were in a, a period of you know from what was the previous line like world moment maybe 9 11 or something right yeah like, you know like a period of time where we just had uh everybody's got not everybody lots of people have jobs there's lots of money in people's pockets there's lots of consumption there's lots of new products coming out and we're sort of on this treadmill of <laughs> as a society i mean of more 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 and while that's happening social media is you know w- worming its way into our brains mm-hmm. and uh and so to have it all stop really quickly and um everybody all of a sudden being stuck at home and their world got a lot smaller in some ways um i think it's really provided an opportunity for people's minds to um become expanded and maybe the the benefit of a, of a little bit more time to think about these things and to put themselves in other people's shoes and to you know, try and walk a mile or, or um, yeah, try to have more empathy for, for the people around them and the problems that are facing the world. I don't know. Yeah. I, 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 like I said, I'm an optimist. I, I really do think that um, the world is going through something really positive right now, but painful for sure. Definitely. And I, I think it's important that we go through it, though, you know, and because before it seemed like we were living on, you know, these surface level relationships, surface level conversations, surface level, you know, um, energy we're putting out there. And, you know, what the pandemic has forced us to do is to dig below the surface, you know, and, and to peel back, you know, the Shrek uh, reference, the layers, you know, and. I <laughs> <laughs> <are> like onions. <laughs> so, you know, like for everybody, that's been different, you know, some people like, like myself, you know, I've, I've had to get really to know myself and, and to deal with, you know, things like childhood traumas that have, you know, really impacted my adult life and, you know, relationships um, with siblings, relationships with coworkers and friends that maybe you had started to part ways with because they moved and all these things, but now everyone's on Zoom calls and you're FaceTiming and all this more. So you actually have to have real conversations and talk about how you're actually feeling because we're all feeling this pandemic. We actually all have this one thing we can all share and you know empathize with each other and sympathize with each other. So I agree. I think this is a good opportunity for us to, you know, take a step back so that we can take two forward after. And in that light, you know, you you were responsible for for really making my dream come true, you know, with the Wanders by, you know, being a part of the the team that launched the CPL. And what is looking back now, you know, at what you've what you did and what you were involved in, what is your favorite part of, of, of the CPL and being involved in the launch of it? A very personal answer would be, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go back for a minute to um, the creation of Toronto FC. Mm-hmm. And what I learned during that period of time was going, going through the creation of that club was like a deep dive into the history and the society and the people and the cultures and the, and the world that is Toronto. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so I'm born and raised in Toronto. Um, I've lived here almost my whole life and I thought I knew it. And then, you know, I spent a couple of years really out in pubs, getting to know people. And um, I, I, you know, fall in love with the city 
all over again and probably deeper in love, you know, and, uh, and then fast forward to 2016, 17, 18, I'm able now to crisscross the country and do exactly the same thing on a national basis. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, and really just exposed to me how different, but similar we are from coast to coast to coast. And, uh, um, and to really, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling for the right superlatives, but you know, Canada is just an awesome place. And um, I got to prove it to myself, not that I ever doubted it, but um, it, it really came to life for me. And so the idea that the CPL can be a connecting thread that, you know, gives you something in common with people in Winnipeg and Calgary, Edmonton and Victoria, as well as, um, you know, hopefully soon Moncton and St. John's and wherever else, right? Like, I think that's really special. You can combine what's great about Canada and the power of sport and put those two things together and then, and be able to say I was part of that. What a privilege. Incredible, honestly, you know, and what did you think? um, What did you think of what, the CPL did last year with the Island Games, you know, as somebody yourself who's quite the innovator, what what did you think of the product that uh, oh, that was I, thought it, I, I thought it was absolutely terrific. And I thought the, the you know, the um, the partner that CPL has in MediaPro and One Soccer and the, the production values of those games, hmm. um, you know, that I, I thought they made it look like a really big event mm-hmm. and uh, and sort of football fans don't want to hear this, but when you're putting a game on in front of the fans, it's one thing, but you're also packaging up something for television and you're creating an entertainment property. And I thought that that um, they made that look effortless and they made it look top notch. You know, there's cer- certainly <clears throat> still relatively new technology. It was the first time I'd ever seen it in, in full use. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I thought, yeah, I, I just thought it was, was terrific. And uh, um, yeah, so I, I, I'm, I'm pretty effusive about it. I, I thought it was a great solution to a really difficult problem. Definitely, you know, and I think by doing that, you know, we've given people hope for that we can kind of make anything happen, regardless of what the situation is with the season, you know. And it makes me think about a po- another point um, that you talked about with Sagun. You know, sports are great because it's one of those things that people are like, where were you, you know, when this happened? I don't know if you remember talking about that with them, but I think that's even amplified even more and why it's so important that the CPL was able to have a season when everybody was sitting at home in front of their TV or whatever, um, that it's one of the most, you know, memorable moments that people are going to remember. Where were you when the bubble happened? You know, when the CPL was, uh, had the Island games, you know, it's, it's, people are not going to easily forget that, that season and that, that year. Yeah. The, the nature of it being a tight compressed, I think it was, was it a month, like four yeah. weeks or something such, from, such from beginning such. to end. Right. So, so it, it created an environment where, you know, as a fan of CPL, I was sitting in front of the TV or on my computer um, frequently and for long periods of time. And so when I think back about the, um, the pandemic, that period of time only has one thing kind of emerging from it. And it's, you know, so it's the, it's the soccer season <laughs> part exactly. of, of, of the pandemic. Exactly. You know, it was a real yeah. opportunity. And I think, you know, we are lucky in a lot of ways, um, not only with, you know, the timing of it and the other leagues not being able to do things, but, you know, the audiences that we were able to captivate because of the timing, you know, and, and, 
even for PI specifically, let's say, like when when else would the PI had had a chance to host all the teams in the CPL for a month? You know what I mean? Like I, I can only imagine how incredibly thankful P, <laughs> the island of PI is for that. Well, able to yeah, cer- certainly it was it was a gift in many ways to the island because you know they they thrive on a, um, a, a very short tourism season mm-hmm. and uh and this kind of replaced or you know helped fill in a hole that was created by covid it's too bad that they weren't able to have local fans come to the games and yeah. be part of it that way because i think that would they did by the end though um we oh, actually got yeah yeah we actually got to go up for a game too me and um matt fegan and and, and david uh finlayson went up for one game against Valor, because as restrictions slowly, you know, the pandemic got better, especially in yeah. PI, they, they did open up. So I think by the end, the final, I think they had like 200 people that were able to go okay. and watch. Yeah. Yeah. But what, when we were there, it was just about 50. And um, no, it was so it, they did get some local, but you're right. It would have been great to have more of the local fans. But then I guess that's when it probably wouldn't have happened if they were able to have 100% capacity, they would have been somewhere sure. else. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I get excited when I think about the opportunity for CPL to influence a, you know, a new generation of fans, but also a new generation of footballers. And uh, um, PEI has just as much opportunity as anywhere else in the country to produce great footballers. So, yeah, I, 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 I was hopeful that that uh, I'm glad I'm glad to hear that more people saw the games than I than I realized. Definitely. And, you know, definitely. And it created another opportunity, you know, in the scope of my work with diversity and inclusion, like that Island games, you know, Black Lives Matter message was so powerful. You know, it was, it was incredible seeing all the players linked and, you know, all the shirts and um, that came across for sure. Yeah. Big time, you know, cause like not to reference Sagan in your podcast too much, but you guys talked about, you know, what, what Didier Drogba did, you know, with, with Ivory Coast and, in yeah. you know, ending, ending the war in a lot of ways through him and his teammates, you know, really pleading to the military and everybody in the government to, you know, let's stop like that. That is, I think people forget just how powerful sport is, you know, and, and I'm so tired of hearing people say like, almost like the, the shut up and dribble line, you know what I mean? Like stay in your lane and just play sports. Like that was yeah. one of the most infuriating things I've ever read when, when I read that whole shut up and dribble thing. But it's not for everybody, right? Like, so, so fine. If you if you're not jazzed by sports, then God love you. You know, go go do whatever it is you want to do. But um, yeah, you can't diminish the the goosebump ability that sports has. Exactly. You know, and sometimes it's because of something magical that happens on the pitch. But for me, and I think for a lot of people, just as often, it's the, those moments come because of things that are happening off the pitch. You, you know, definitely, definitely, and the magic. Definitely. And I've seen a lot of people grow in confidence, um, you know, in the last in the last year coming out of even specific players like Andre Rob, Andre Rampersat, you know, what I mean, a guy for in Halifax who just really grabbed the bull by the horns with the opportunity that presented himself at the Island Games. And I think, again, that's just people being able to be presented with opportunities to be adverse. Right. And um, one thing we talked about you had this one moment where you realized that you were just, you had the confidence all along. You just had to have faith in yourself, you know, that this imposter syndrome that, that a lot of people face. And I'm, I, I'm really, it was eye opening for me. Like I told you, you know, I, I've, I don't know why I wasn't as confident as I was in the last, you know, especially in the last six months, my confidence has skyrocketed. And I've really understood that I had all the tools all along there. You just have to be confident, you know, what, yeah. What did that look like for you? What when when you went through? Well, I mean, 
so I, I, I studied music in school and I came out of the arts and I landed in a job with the Raptors where just about everyone else in the organization was a diehard NBA fan. They were a baller. They were competitive. They probably went to school in the U.S. for this. You know, they, maybe they played basketball or um, uh, or they played some other sport, but they went to a sports business, you know, program. Mm -hmm. And then you got me, who happens to be good at ticketing and computers, and so I'm, you know. I'm in my lane there doing my ticket stuff, but I was completely a fish out of water when March Madness came along and people were like, who you got? And I'm like, what's March Madness? Like I was a complete neophyte. I had, I'd never seen um, a, a pro basketball game in my life. My first game was the first game of the Raptors. I, I don't know, like, like just, just being on the edges of conversations, but not knowing what the whole conversation was and having to really take it in by osmosis, not even knowing what questions to ask, you know, to, to like when somebody's talking about sweet 16, I didn't even know they were talking about a competition. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I didn't even know what questions to ask, you know, and so that's a, that's a, uh, that's just a pretty good illustrative example of, you know, th those are the moments that really instilled this fear of, um, of exposing myself to being a fraud in this, you know, in this group of people. Hmm. But I did over time learn that the fact that I was a little bit different than everyone else, hmm. it, it kind of became like a superpower for me because you're growing up a bit as a business person and you're in meetings where you're developing, I don't know, a new ticket sales program or a new process for renewing customers. And we're going to do it this way this year instead of that, that way last year, whatever it was, when you're in a room full of type A competitive personalities, all of whom have lived a pretty similar life, then you get a, you get a lot of groupthink. And so I learned how to sometimes ask a stupid question, just not a stupid question, but a question that I knew wasn't the, wasn't going to solve our problem, but it was going to cause the conversation to go in a better direction or a different direction. Exactly. And I think that's where the saying, there's no such thing as a stupid question because you don't know what's going to yeah. inspire by that question. Yeah. Yeah. But I was definitely, I was the outsider mm. because, because I saw the world from a slightly different perspective and uh, you know, it wasn't necessarily better or worse. It was just different. And um, yeah. So I, I think that was the beginning of me starting to understand that I had had some confidence, but um, you know, there wasn't even a name for what I was feeling. You know, the, the idea of imposter syndrome to me is a relatively recent phrase, you know, yeah. so I, I wouldn't have known what it was. I just knew that, um, I, you know, I felt nervous sometimes asking stupid questions because mm -hmm. I would be exposing myself. But, um, but like I said, I, I, I found that more often than not, it contributed to a better outcome. Definitely. And it's crazy because in a lot of ways, um, I see a lot of similarities with you and Derek in that, you know, because Derek comes, you know, to the Wanderers. And I'll be honest, I remember one of our first moments meeting together was that, um, what was it, Euros that year? Yeah, Euro party uh, downtown on Spring Garden. And um, we had like a viewing party and there was a FIFA and all this leading up to the game. And I forget which game it was. It was France and somebody and they were going into extra time. And Derek came up to me and he's like, hey, Marvin, I was like, hey, what's up? And he's like, what happens if they're still tied? <laughs> you know, at the end of the game, and I was like, yeah. what? Like, you, know, you own a professional soccer club? You don't even know what happens? Extra time? Like, yeah. but but yeah. he had, because he didn't, he wasn't so involved, 
like you said, in, in the soccer world, he was able to ask questions and, and bring this new approach that allows us to thrive and be innovative and not yeah. do what all the other soccer clubs are doing because he's not a soccer guy. He's more. Or, or worse, do what all the other sports clubs do, right? True, true. Imagine if the Wanderers just started marketing yourselves the same way a CFL team would or, a, or a, an AHL team would, mm. right? If they're just different, right? So this whole sense of, and, and the moment I knew that Derek was really starting to understand this was he was insistent on the Wanderers grounds mm -hmm. because he knew that it needs to be, it's an urban sport. People think about soccer and they think about North American stadiums, which, you know, in the past have been outside of the city surrounded by a 10,000 parking spots. And, you know, nobody cares about the fact that everybody's drinking at that game and getting in their car and driving back to the city. Like it's, it's a ridiculous evolution that um, sporting culture has had in North America, but in the rest of the world, the, the soccer stadium or the football stadium is downtown and it's, you know, people walk to it and it's part of the community. And it's so fundamentally important. We insisted on it at, um, you know, with BMO Field. When, when we were working with the city and the federal government and Canada Soccer to build BMO Field, there were two locations and one of them was up in Downsby Park and the other one was at uh, um, X Place and uh, MLSE at one point said, well, listen, if it's going to be up there, then we're out, mm. right? And, and TFC would never have happened because we weren't going to build a stadium on our own. Um, mm. We needed, this was when the um, under 20 World Cup was coming to Toronto. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, that was really the impetus for the stadium and the, and the partnership between the city and, the, um, and Canada Soccer and Maple Leaf Sports. But it was a deal breaker. It had to be an urban walkable stadium. It couldn't mm. be you know, up in the middle of nowhere. Mm. Um, Downsby Park isn't, isn't the middle of nowhere, but it's not, it's not part of the urban fabric of the city. Oh, and it's such an important thing. Location, 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 as people say. And the Wanderers wouldn't be successful if it wasn't for the Wanderers grounds being, you know, next to Citadel Hill, next to Public Gardens, next yeah. to Sp Spring Garden. People can do things before, during, and after. I, as somebody who works in ticketing, I, literally sat there in the box office and you know watched people walking by stare think about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and then and then i'm smiling waving and they come over what's happened yeah. you know yeah. and next thing you know they got two tickets and you know they're, they're in the stadium and uh yeah. the next game they're asking me for season tickets you know like it's if we weren't where we were at the wanderers grounds yeah none of those now, things don't happen a mature club could you know, take some liberties could be the the spark that helps a, a part of the, the city, you know, start to reemerge or something. But you still don't want to have it out where your airport is, you know, like, no, it's, it's, uh, it, it's got to be part of the city because it's, it's part of the lives of the people in the city. Well, yeah, it's just when you talk about the true sense of the word community, you know, the Wanderers Grounds allowed us to provide that in so many different ways, right? Because mm -hmm. the pro close proximity to local businesses allow them to want to be involved in us and vice versa, because we're it's a give and take. It's not one way. Like you said, if it was an airport, what, what benefit is it if they're an hour away from your venue, right? Like, yeah. but by having hundreds of businesses, you know, close to the Wanderers grounds, we're able to help them and them help us. And that's, I don't know if you ever took, um, I know you came to a couple of games. Did you get to go to the march to the match or for any of them? 
or to see it? Uh, yeah, yeah. I can't remember the name of the pub, but I started with one of the groups at one of the pubs. And Probably Dirty Nellies, if I had to guess. It wasn't Dirty Nellies. That's the only pub I know the name of. <laughs> was it the Pint? I can't remember. Fair, fair, it fair. Was, yeah. One question I like to ask people who have been uh, to the Wanderers grounds. Um, how many games did you go to, first of all? I think at the two. Wanderers ground. Two? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Between the two, which was your favorite game and why? Like, because I know in your podcast with Sagan, you said sometimes you don't even watch the games because you're so, you know, happy to just see people enjoying the experience yeah, and drinking yeah. the beers and all that. But was there a game you remember of the two that was a little more exciting or for, for whatever, whatever reason, it could have been because you were in the stadium and you were, you know, talking to the fans, but what well, was your favorite? The, I went to two. One of them was really early in the season. They might've been one of your first home games. And so it was cold. It was wet. It was, uh, and, and everything was new. So I was running around, not really paying attention to the event itself. I was paying attention to the details. Right. Mm -hmm. But then I came mid in the middle of the summer and uh, I can't remember. I think he was a federal MP that was uh, at the game. And I'm standing mm -hmm. watching the game with him. And, uh, and he, he turns to me and he says, it's like this has been here for 100 years. And I got mm -hmm. goosebumps when he said that because it was like, holy smoke. So <laughs> you know? early. So yeah. early for people yeah. to be saying stuff like that. Yeah. And it was just sort of, you know, I don't know if he meant it that way, but it was certainly I took it as real high praise for what the Wanderers organization had done in a relatively short period of time. Now, it wasn't as short as some of the other clubs in um, in CPL. I think I think the Wanderers growth in the hearts and minds of people in Halifax um, or the what's it called HMR HRM yeah Halifax HRM, HRM. yeah yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think it was like a, a textbook of what should be done so. You know, you need to plant seeds two years, three years before you want to be kicking a ball and you want to be out in the community asking questions and soliciting, uh, soliciting support from various groups. And those groups that are going to poo poo it or not like it, you got to give them an opportunity to come out of the woodwork and then you can have time to have a conversation with them to help them, you know, understand what you're trying to achieve. And, uh, you know, every time that I went out to, um, to Halifax, Derek made sure that I was in the pub with some supporters. I was, yep. uh, you know, with, with uh, Mayor Savage and yep. some city councilors. And then I was doing, a, you know, a CBC hit or a CTV or something. And, you know, so he was making sure that all these boxes were being ticked because it created opportunities for more people. It's, you know, it's, it's what you call earned media, right? It's, mm. it's not billboards on the or, or ads in the newspaper, but it's ways in which you can get your idea because yep. before it was the Wanderers, it was just an idea. And then it was a team in CPL. And then it was the Wanderers. Mm -hmm. um, and you need to get this idea in into people's minds so that they can come around to the idea that this is something that they want. No, it's, it's, it's very true. And the second of the Wanderers Grounds questions is, what was your favorite drink that you had at the Wanderers Grounds? If you had any. Gosh, I don't I have no idea. <laughs> I, I have no idea i know i got uh, that means you had a good time <laughs> I, I know that i had some of those uh cans of wanders wine yeah that's um, that's the most common answer it's uh the yeah. nova seven the nova, yeah, yeah yeah awesome. um but uh yeah i i can't remember and then last one favorite food if you had any at the wanders guys no idea 
No idea. Fair enough. I'm a <laughs> two out of three. No, two out of three is not bad. Two out of three is not bad. But it's interesting you do say that, you know, um, when you were here and Halifax is going through this real coming of age, you know, and we're at this, Derek has said it really well, you know, we're at this intersecting moment in time and history, you know, of Halifax, especially in the HRM when the surrounding areas are going through a, a huge identity shift and recognizing their potential. And, you know, we're really seeing truly a more inclusive and diverse Halifax, you know, all the ways from politics to sport to, you know, I'm really proud to have this committee now in Halifax with the, you know, people from all sorts of walks of life and sectors from education to, you know. Well, um, at, at the at the risk of bursting your bubble, <laughs> Halifax, <laughs> um, I, one of the things, you know, we, we talked about the, um, the journey of during the creation of the Canadian Premier League. And so this is, this doesn't touch on everything that you just described about how Halifax is having a moment for sure. I, I heard a very consistent story from, you know, I said, you know, when, when I went to Halifax, I, I would meet with people and city councillors and, and really yeah. understand the, um, the landscape. And then I would also go to Saskatoon and Regina, and I would also go to Victoria and Langford. And there was a consistency among the, you know, call it the city fathers. I, I know that's a misogynistic name, the city people who, yeah. <laughs> you know, who, who, who run the city. Um, there was a consistent theme and, and it was these mid-sized Canadian cities understand that their future is with newcomers mm. and that, you're talking to one. <laughs> yeah, and and um, so so when you're talking to a city politician, they're not only familiar with, and this was a revelation for me. This is part of my learning. They're not only familiar with their immigration numbers, but they're more concerned with their retention numbers. Their ability loses to, a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, um, but that's consistent, right? Like we've got these three big cities in, in Vancouver, Toronto, and Montreal that tend to become magnets for, for people. So they, they may land in Canada in Saskatoon or, or Moncton, but they gravitate to Montreal or Toronto or Vancouver because they've got family or extended family or, or maybe better job opportunities, or this is just a familiarity because there's a bigger community there. I can mm -hmm. get certain spices or I can get certain, you know, certain products that make me feel at home. And uh, so that's a challenge that is existing across the country. And mm. part of, you know, in, almost invariably, when you're speaking to these city fathers, you're talking to groups of white men who are, you know, my age or older. Mm. And, um, um, but there was a, a really refreshing um, willingness among that cohort to A, understand that our future is not going to be, you know, our, our future in our community is not going to be determined by people that look like me. We need to create a place that's welcoming and um, and can be a place where people can um, say, I want to make a life here for my family. And so, you know, you, you always talk about community wants to be a place where people live, work and play. And, um, and so I, I think it was Mayor Savage that said this to me, but I may be wrong. He said, look, I don't understand soccer. I'm not really a soccer fan, but I understand that it's the global game. And I understand mm. that this is, this is important for us to be successful as a city that retains people, that this is an important, you know, stool, a, a leg on that three-legged stool of live, work, and play. Mm. And um, um, so that, that narrative emerged all across the country. And mm. 
that actually made me really excited for CPL because it, it not only is appropriate to fill that hole, but it also exists, that hole exists in those mid-sized cities, which I think are most appropriate for CPL to launch and thrive in. Yeah, definitely. And that sounds like something, um, you know, Mike Savage would say, I've had the pleasure of meeting him, I think on five occasions now. The last one was hilarious because uh, <laughs> I was in a suit, but <laughs> um, one of the times he's, he's a very diverse and inclusive man, that guy. And like in every sense, because I've seen him with the Wanderers shooting a commercial, you know, in the mayor's office um, through one of my other friends who um, is from St. Kitts. And when they had their independence, you know, Mike Savage was there also to raise the flag for St. Kitts, you know, right. uh, for independence. It's there's so many things that he embodies the whole culture of Halifax that, like you said, you know, it, it welcomes people here and makes them feel safe. And then to the point, like, I don't want to leave Halifax. You know, <laughs> I came from Kenya and, you know, I was very scared coming here. I remember yeah. the, the, the emotions and feelings I had on those, you know, I think it was four plane rides we took eventually to land in Fredericton. And I was scared and nervous and, I didn't know what was going to happen. I thought I was going to lose the person I was and all my goals and ambitions were going to have to be thrown out the window, but it was the exact opposite. You know, it actually allowed me to achieve my goals and dreams and, mm. and to grow into this person that I think I was meant to be. And now I don't want to leave here because like you said, it's this melting pot of people and cultures and ideas. And it's, it's something that I think it would be hard to find anywhere else. You know, you're lucky mm. in Toronto that you have it as well. Toronto's brilliant for it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. When you were in school, did they ever teach you the melting pot versus the mosaic? No, actually. You ever heard that? Because you said melting pot, and, and I actually, the way I learned things and my, my view of North America is that um, in the U.S., it's a melting pot, hmm. meaning people come from all over the world, and they're expected to leave that world behind and become an American. Mm, very true and in canada I, I use and i don't don't know where i got it i think i got it from you know in, in grade school i use the concept of the mosaic which is slightly different so in canada you you come here you're expected to be a um contributing member of of our society but our society, Part of the fiber mm. yeah but our society encourages you to remember where you're from and to celebrate where you're from and mm. so you 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 can, um, and you know, it's not just religion or, or nationalism. It's it. It can be anything, any part of your culture. It can be the love that you bring, or you know, that kind of thing. So, I always, in my brain, make make this distinction between the melting pot and the mosaic. And uh, um, yeah, I, that's very true. I, it's I, it's. I'm biased. I think our way is better. <laughs> <laughs> completely, completely agree. But you know, it's, it's it's that thing that we experience that when we leave North America, as everyone does assume usually a lot of times that everyone from North America is an American, you know, until you get that feeling and people are nice and, you know, and then you're like, oh, maybe they're, maybe they're not quite American. <laughs> yeah. It's like the red maple leaf might be the best brand in the world. Right? Oh like, my gosh. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's not, I guess it is a brand, but it's, it's not a commercial brand. It's just, it, it brings a set of values to people's minds and, and it's something that most people really, um, you know, want to embrace. Exactly, exactly. And, and um, I don't want to take up too much of time, but I want to wrap up with a, with a question, you know, uh, two questions. Um, one, I think everyone probably CPL wants to know, you know, what has life been like since you left the CPL? 
<laughs> well, it's uh, it's been pretty boring. I've been locked in my house most of the time. Um, <laughs> uh, no, it's been good. You know, I've been um, I'm, I'm consulting in this world of sports and uh, um, pro clubs, and you know, with a real emphasis on a couple of things that we talked about today. One is this uh, this idea of sharing of information and best practices, and you know, creating processes. So there are leagues in the world way more. There's way more opportunity in the world among leagues for this type of thinking to be like this is radical for for most leagues, mm -hmm. and so that's you know that's one sort of part of of what I've been doing, and the other part of what I've been doing is is helping clubs understand that um, I really believe that the most effective marketing for a club is to go beyond what is no normally known as corporate and social responsibility csr you know doing good works in your community that, that's a lot of clubs do that mm -hmm. but i i really believe that the the next wave of that is going to be clubs that define themselves with a purpose and that purpose is way bigger than winning games Person. or winning 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 trophies mm -hmm. that purpose is to you know change the world and this was part of what i talked about with sagoon and uh you know, there's a, there's probably half a dozen examples of clubs in the world that have now really started to align themselves with a set of values and a set of purpose or a, and a purpose within their community. And that purpose might be to end homelessness in our province or to, you know, to be the most inclusive club in the world or to be the greenest club in the world or, or mm -hmm. th those types of sort of um, uh, real high, high bar kind of uh, um, objectives. And if you can get your entire club behind that set of objectives, it flows through the whole organization and creates a ton of different positive outcomes. Again, that, that you, you, de you don't necessarily anticipate, but it's really a tool to get everybody turned and running in the same direction. And also doing it in a manner that um, in today's workers today's employees really want to understand what is the bigger picture why are we doing what we're doing what is you know how are we contributing to a positive society so um yeah i, I think that's that's kind of a the next wave in sports and and so we're helping some clubs um understand that and, and put in programs to make that happen that's awesome it's awesome well thanks for setting us on the right trajectory and um <laughs> you know we've been running with it but the second one is you know what do you think the CPL and its clubs, you know, the Wanderers are doing a lot of things right in social justice and stuff, but what do you think we can do to create more pathways and be more diverse as, as a league? Oh, without question, number one, number two, number three, and number four, and number five are all of the women's game. Mm, definitely, definitely not. Yeah. Yep. Couldn't agree more, you know, and that's why even when we were forming our committee, you know, we were thinking of it's it's a men's league, but we should have equal representation, you know, so because one person I remember when we did um, say that we were going to have 50-50 men and women in our committee, like, but why, you know, it's, it's, it's a men's league. And I was like, do you think that we have a goal, like you just said, aiming really high and setting the pedestal high um, to get a women's league? And they're like, yeah, but you're not there. It's like, yeah, but how do we get there? Yeah. If, if we don't involve women in the process now. Yeah. And it's, listen, it's, a, it's an expensive process mm -hmm. as is starting a, a, a men's league, right? It's not exactly. a, uh, 
it's it's not for the faint of heart you know cpl is is blessed with a group of owners who understand a bigger picture they mm -hmm. understand that you know i mean they're not stupid so they're not they're not going to waste their money but they understand that you have to invest before you can you know reap reap the rewards and um i like to think that we have a huge head start on our you know our, our friends in the us they built the they, they built major league soccer um, two years after a World Cup was on American soil. We built the Canadian Premier League 10 years before or eight years before a World Cup's going to be on Canadian soil. And so that lead time, I, I always sort of in, in, in my mind's eye, I think of the next up until 2026 is foundation building. Mm. If we're building a house, we're below grade still. We're putting in the plumbing, we're building the foundation walls and stuff around 2026, 2027. That's when the house starts to come up above the ground and you start to see the walls and, and you know, it's, it's, a, it's a silly metaphor, but to me, it, it's a reminder that this thing is so much bigger than anybody can see or touch or feel today. But, you know, in, in 15 years or 20 years, which will go, go by super fast, um, in 20 years, this league is going to be, I have no doubt, it's going to be the biggest Canadian league of any sport and, uh, and it'll be at the infancy, you know, it'll, it'll have another, we, we always said we were building this not for, for one year or three years, we're building it for the next hundred years. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to being a part of it and, you know, seeing the continual growth, you know, in diversity and, and, um, you know, one personal thing that I'd like to see, because you mentioned the World Cup, that's something that, you know, I've circled since I started working for the Wanderers too. And, um, you know, last couple of months I've been thinking about what are some goals that we should have and I should have, you know, and in the scope of my work, I want to see, you know, a game played in one of the CPL stadiums, you know, in that World Cup and see players, you know, linking hands and being involved in it, even though even if they're not playing for Canada or whatever, it's just to have involvement, you know, of, of a diverse group of people from the CPL in a stadium, you know, being involved in the World Cup setup would just be incredible. And if I could be there, even better. <laughs> well, you, whether you're not, you're at the game, you can watch that game thinking that that was something that you helped build because, exactly. you know, without, you know, Canada soccer has done a tremendous job um, with big global events, with women's World Cups, under 20 World Cup, um, women's under, under 19, I think, World Cup. You know, we've hosted a bunch of really important FIFA tournaments. The only one we haven't hosted is uh, the men's, men's World Cup. Um, and uh, so on, on the one hand, we've been, or, or Canada soccer has been tooling up a, uh, a pro soccer industry from an event perspective. And then in, you know, in Toronto, we had MLS and then it went to Montreal and Vancouver. And now we've got all these teams across the country creating a, a an industry of soccer professionals that includes coaches and trainers and managers and players and that whole and, and analysts are an important part of the, the, um, the puzzle now and that whole infrastructure, but also business people like yourself. And uh, um, I think that those business people are the ones that are really going to be, a, you know, your generation of, of Canadian pro soccer um, business people are going to be able to watch those games in 2026 and sit back proudly and raise a glass to yourself and say, look what we built. Because I think what's happening now really 
um, needs to, needed to happen in order for a World Cup to be pulled off in a successful way in Canada. And so I think all of these things are connected. So I completely agree. I completely agree. Even seeing now, you know, Jonathan David um, winning the French league with, with Lille, you know, and, and it was cool seeing it on one soccer, you know, and it's just one of the ways that we're, you know, pushing the envelope and I'm looking forward yeah. to seeing the continual growth. Five Canadians won trophies last weekend in Europe. It's unbelievable. Men, men, sorry, five male Canadians. Yeah, the, one, the ones I remember, trophy. Jonathan David, Atiba Hutchinson, Scott Arfield at Rangers, um who are the oh, other six two? sorry six <laughs> hold on let me think uh, alfonso davies yeah um kyle laren kyle laren of course yeah at also with uh tiba yeah. hutchinson and... Yeah. and david watherspoon at, where's, where's he? Uh, at st johnson they won two scottish cups the scottish scottish cup and the scottish league cup ah that yeah. one i didn't so know rangers didn't win all the trophies Fair enough, yeah, fair yeah. Enough. well enough yeah, Paul, so thank, I, yeah. thank you so much for joining me i really appreciate you taking the time out of your um pandemic schedule <laughs> well we did talk a lot about uh diversity and inclusion um i i think that's i think i think the work you're doing and the work that you're leading um is is like i said it's it's important for guys like me to shut up and listen and uh and i really appreciate the value of the, the the platform that you've created to you know to have something for me to listen to thank you and, and, and i really appreciate you saying that I'm, i am going to challenge that that uh those words and say that it is important that you you listen um but not shut up i think it's important right now that all the you know the white males of the world for lack of a better word and the people of yeah. privilege um use that privilege to actually align themselves with the BLM, with you know, Stop Asian Hate. And it is a lot of the responsibilities of the majority to bridge the gap between yeah. them and the minority. So I, I, I respectfully agree and, 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 <laughs> and add that you know, after you listen, it is good to engage because- Absolutely, um, yeah. As, and, and, and I think, so you're absolutely right. Um, that's what allyship is about is you know is, is is using my privilege to um, become an ally, um, but I got to be educated first, and so exactly you know what you're doing is helping me with my education. So I really appreciate it. Thank you, I appreciate that. I appreciate. It. Well, okay. I'm looking forward to hopefully speaking again at uh, maybe at the oh, World Cup. Dude, I'm jonesing. <laughs> I'm jonesing to get back to Halifax. So I I hope I see a game there live with you this year. Definitely. I look forward to it all. I'll make sure to get you something to eat this time so we can, uh, next time I ask you the question, <laughs> you'll have an answer. All right, man. Take care. All right. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for coming. Together from a ways to work, together for change. Come on, get more.